The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Pop Insider. The Pop Insider has all the latest in news, merch reviews, and other geeky goodness. Whether you're a wizard, a Sith Lord, or a superhero, fuel your fandom at thepopinsider.com. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. You know how Finn never gets to tell Ray that one thing he wants to tell her? Or how Han Solo can give Leia a sarcastic quip but never really open up to her? Well, you don't have to be rebel scum or the captain of the Millennium Falcon to experience the kind of rich relationships and life that we all long for. I'm Mark Went, and I'm a men's wisdom coach. After people work with me, they have the confidence, emotional intelligence, and communication skills they need to be the heroes of their own story. To find out more, go to markwentcoaching.com, M-A-R-C-W-E-N-D-T, coaching.com. Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. Produced with podcasting gear from Tascam. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. <laughs> Crisis for the geek kind. Top geek officials admit they underestimated the hipster's defense capability. Geeks from all over the globe are joining up to fight for the future. They're doing their part. Are you? Join Weeby Geeks and the Geek Revolution and save the world. Service guarantees citizenship. Want to know more? Do not attempt to adjust your device. This is a Stream Freedom Audio Bulletin. It cannot be traced. It cannot be stopped. And it is the only free voice left in the Geek Revolution. And welcome to another episode of Weeby Geeks. It is your dashing duo, Derek and myself, Mike. And uh, hey, Derek, this week we're being joined by the director, I believe writer as well, and members of the cast of L.A. Macabre, which is... A, I was wondering who all these people were. <laughs> uh, so we have Dan, Aiden, Joel, Ryan, and last but not least... Corsica. How's everyone doing? doing really good. good. Thanks, really good. good. Happy New Year. That's exciting. Happy New Year. Welcome to welcome to the year 3031. <laughs> <laughs> or at least that's the way it, that's the way it, it only it, feels that way. Only feels that way because of last year. So we are now in the realm of Futurama. Woohoo. <laughs> cool. Can I be a head in the, can I be one of the heads in the formaldehyde? <laughs> Just live that, like that, live like Al Gore. You can do that. Su- suicide Actually, suicide boost popping up on every corner starting next week. <laughs> it is it is 2021 so technically we are in the time of mad max there you that's go. right that's right and it's starting to feel that way that makes more sense if you don't understand what we're talking about look at the pictures of the guy with the plastic pawn chest piece the tattoo on his, <laughs> on his torso um i just added a flamethrower to my ford fiesta on the front it's really nice Baby stuff. Ah, I I I have a huge ten foot cow catcher on the front of my car. Nice. It just makes it a pain to get into the engine block when I need to put oil in. (laughs) Um 
So, Dan, tell us a little bit about L.A. Macabre. Um, L.A. Macabre is uh, it's a digital series that's in its second season. We filmed the first season in 2014 and released it on YouTube. And then we crowdfunded the budget for the second season. Um, and we spent several years making the second season because it was a pretty enormous and ridiculous undertaking. Um, and we have finally released the second season on Amazon Prime. It's about a group of documentary filmmakers that kind of get in over their heads when they start interviewing Corsica's character, Callie, who was a member of a kind of Manson-esque cult that had disbanded about 10 years prior. So weird things start happening and you're not really sure if she's the problem or if by putting her on the show that they put her in danger or they responsible for her or is she the threat? Um, and so it's just a kind of a weird mystery thriller that kind of moves further and further out into the desert as the show goes on. <laughs> what a tangle web we weave. And it's great. Um, watching the show, I really liked how you, you kind of took, I guess the best way I was able to describe it, the Blair Witch Project type approach with it. Yeah. Um, where you know it's but you also go outside of the camera view as well um i really i really like that i thought it with this it lended itself well to to the project um and you you mentioned in season one that you know the um shoot i can't think of the name of it it's black uh Black Dahlia? Yes, the Black Dahlia and, and stuff like that. What made you decide to hit on I it's one of those drawing blank. It's I blame it on my knee I blame it on my knee surgery uh that I just recently had. Oh. I blame it on your age. Yeah. <laughs> that too. Uh, and then the liquor afterwards. Yeah, pain relieving. Pain relieving. Gotta have that pain relief. Yeah. Um what made you decide to go after stuff that was or model this after similar macabre stories of the LA Hollywood area. Uh, I just, I think that Hollywood is the, and, and Los Angeles in general is this really interesting city that kind of gets dismissed as not having a lot of history, you know, and kind of being very surface and glitzy and kind of empty. And I just don't think that that's the case. I think that there's a ridiculous amount of history in this city. And I think there's something kind of tragic about a lot of it because it is kind of a place where where a lot of dreams kind of got crushed up against the wheels. So um, you, you get a lot of these really interesting, tragic stories like, like Peg and Twistle jumping off the Hollywood sign or the Black Dahlia, um, the Manson family. Uh, I mean, Bobby Kennedy died in Los Angeles, and that's almost a footnote in its history, you know? And right. so, like, it doesn't get talked about a lot. Um, and I just thought all of these things were really interesting. So I was definitely scratching my own L.A. history nerd itch when I when I was getting into wanting to fool around in this universe. But it was, you know, at the time, reading Helter Skelter and kind of overwhelmed by all of the really creepy aspects of the Manson family story um, and didn't really want to adapt the Manson family story, you know, as, as a um, docu-series or anything. I just wanted to take the things in that book that my dogs uh, that scared yeah. me. Ah, the producers. I'm going to go quiet them, but uh, I'll let somebody else jump in. Oh, don't. Are you going to hurt them? Don't hurt them. their neck on camera. Whoa. Plot line. For season three, no doubt. <laughs> that uh, get dark. He's nice, but he could get dark. 
So how, uh, I guess we'll start with Corsica. How'd you guys get involved with the show? Um, well, I've known Dan for a while. We've worked on a few things before this and, um, I auditioned for the show, um, and, uh, came on board through auditioning. Um, I guess that's pretty, pretty simple answer. I didn't get it at first. If you want to know the real truth, um, I was the backup option and luckily, uh, the main choice fell through. So <laughs> I think I'm going to go next to the talkative one. Aiden, how about you? <laughs> uh, I used to be an exotic dancer, and Dan was one of my best customers and would visit me very often. And uh, through a relationship of him always tipping me more than the other customers, we created a rapport that really fed into uh, the character uh, that you see on the screen. Um, that's not why, that's really a typical approach of how you make it in Hollywood, but it's my story, and uh, I wouldn't be able to do it without Dan. You know, most people can't make that transition, but I did. <laughs> Uh, with the help of Dan, uh, I have actually fulfilled my dream of being an actor now in Los Angeles. Um, no, uh, to answer your question, uh, many, many moons ago, uh, Dan uh, was uh, wrote a really brilliant uh, script um, for a feature film called Claire. And um, I just threw uh, L.A. Casting, got lucky and was picked. And I read for him for that project. And I was really fortunate to be cast in that. That was one of the best things that I was, that I've still to this day have ever been a part of. And, um, yeah, we just kind of stayed in touch. And then he, you know, told me and a, a select group, a few people about this project. And we read some early scripts and, uh, I like everyone else still had to audition. Um, <laughs> even yeah. though I felt like I was in like the beginning process of like reading the early drafts, like, Oh, I'm in. And then it was like, no, no, no. Thanks for your help. However, get in line and sign up over there and read like the rest of them. It was actually uh, the uh, third choice. Uh, the third choice. Yeah. The other two exotic dancers at the club that I used to work at, they were the first and second choice, uh, but they uh, evidently didn't uh, do as well as I did in the read. Um, but yeah, that's uh, somewhere in what I just said is, is enough truth to put together a story about it. So, yeah. I'm really excited to audition you all again for well, I have to say it. <laughs> to take over the world. And you guys you guys wonder why season two took so long to shoot. Yeah, yeah. Working in between eighty and uh, luckily though Aiden shifts at the I could definitely, the club. I could definitely see your uh, dancer skills and your role in in the show. It really it really came through really well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There's no pull in the in the in the series, unfortunately. I really pushed for that, and I tried to put it in my writer, but Dan uh, wasn't about it. Um, but well, uh, but yeah, in all stories, <laughs> what's up? Kind of build up to that, man. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. do. Uh, um, but no, I, I think. <laughs> what's cool about our show too with what's kind of going on right now in the zeitgeist with um uh people joining cults like the vow like they have like multiple networks are picking that um what happened there and and making uh material out of it and i think dan was ahead of the curve and was able to kind of predict that there's like a, a huge audience for that and i think our show does a really good job of touching on those themes as well very cool what about you Ryan? Uh, so Dan and I uh, worked on a project and we were uh, at a rap party uh, for this thing. And 
um, I just wanted to talk to him. I uh, thought he was a uh, he, he was he was a writer for the project we were working on. And I was like interested in his writing process. I was talking to him, and then uh, he I think it was pretty m- far to the, down the line, months later, maybe I don't know, a year later. Uh, Might have been a year later. Yeah, just uh, remembered me from that. Uh, that conversation was like, you know, I think this guy might be able to fill the role of Ryan. And I also auditioned and, and, uh, and got it. Yeah. Mm. And there's the charm. Um, <laughs> so go out, quite, party, oh, wait, Joel, you know, make friends. <laughs> Timer's up. Oh, I was, uh, I was actually originally cast as Callie. And then I turned the role down. I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah. That's yeah, gave me a 10 spot. And I was like, you take this one, kid. No, uh, <laughs> I, I met Dan, uh, David Shotnoff, uh, the other executive producer, years and years ago at a new media workshop. And I remember them telling me about this fun little web series they got going called Ellie Macabre. And I was like, oh, that sounds like fun. Good, good for you guys. Um, it was like a writer's workshop sort of a deal, right? And everybody always has their projects. So you kind of go, oh, that's, that's cool. Good, 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 good luck with that. And then uh, a few years later, a few years later, I saw a casting notice for the season two for the uh, for the Bennett role, for the role of the cult leader. And I was like, that sounds like a good stretch. Submit. <laughs> they called me in for the role of uh, Bennett, the cult leader, and uh, went in and didn't book that. Uh-huh. Um, and then Dan called and said, hey, do you want to video a do you want to do a video audition? for this role of the really small detective not the one I ended up playing what's the, I forget the tech detective's name oh uh, I'd probably put you in there for um, oh man see now I can't remember my own character's name yeah <laughs> the detective so I, was, I know who you're like talking about it was, like, it was like one scene so I filmed it and sent it and Dan's like great we love you we're gonna have you into this small detective role I was like oh, that sounds like fun and then, uh, like a week later, they're like, "How about this other role that's in a lot more episodes?" Uh, also detective. And I was like, "Cool!" And I shot that. And then uh, they're like, "We like you for that. Let's go have a beer, you, me, and Dave, right, Dan?" And so I go and meet him up in North Hollywood to go have a beer. And before I met him, I watched the first season, which is already on YouTube, the short and seven minute episodes and blazed right through it. It was so it was like brilliant. I was amazing. I was like, this is so good. And I sat down and then Dan rolls up with the 300 page script and sets it in front of me. He goes, you want to do all this? (laughs) That's like a lot of work. (laughs) And so uh, I took it home. I read the script and it was brilliant. I was like, yeah, I don't care what we do for this. Uh, Let's do this. Let's do it. So, uh, wow. The, the script is the script was too good. The first season was too good, uh, and, and and Dan and Dave they bought the beer. So what am I going to say? No. So uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was too good. It was a too good of a project to say no to. To be honest. With you. <laughs> uh, when they buy the beer, you, you're, you're owed at least one scene. Well, if I knew what I was in for, I would have asked for more than one beer. I would have been like, "That's going to be an odyssey." I thought it was a road trip. <laughs> <laughs> Need a whole case of beer. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm still drinking. No, but it was it was it was no, it was it was too it was it was just one of those projects where you you look at it and you realize, okay, this one's not about the money you're going to make. This is about the the people you're working with, the role, the characters the script, everything else artistically, it was uh, incredible. So uh, it's, you know, you, you have to say yes to some things that come along, much to your agent's chagrin. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, your character got to drink a lot too, so. Well prepped years ahead of time. The character was <laughs> like, very well prepped. <laughs> <laughs> so I love, uh, one of the things I really love about the show is, is, the mystery element of it 
and it really just the the whole time it just keeps you guessing on everything. Yeah, and I thought I thought that was really done really well. Me too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's. I think with it was a. I'm a. I'm a. I'm a mystery fan in general. Um, I, I. I like working that sort of thing into whatever I'm writing. Um, and keep people guessing and try to get the twists and turns to track. I really, I, uh, Joel said this really well before we started recording, but like the show was designed for you to have to watch it twice. So uh, hopefully you'll get to the end of uh, season two and you'll just kind of go, oh man, now I have to start again from the beginning because a lot of these things meant something different than I thought. Um, mm. And uh, that's definitely, I like that. yeah, it's definitely like the goal, um, but not to do it at the expense of the characters or their journeys or to like put the plot or the twists ahead of them. Um, one of the things that people say a lot that I really appreciate is that, that they really do invest in the characters and they really do care about where oh, they're yeah. going. And hopefully the twists and turns come from the decisions that the characters are making and not from the story happening to them. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it was um, a lot of fun trying to sort that out over, over 400 pages across two seasons so far and you know who knows how long season three will end up being if we ever find the funding for it so uh, i've been impressed by that too because like you know traditional any other genre you're 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 still creating a puzzle but with this specific type of mystery there's so much more of a game that you're creating there's so much more of a puzzle that you are creating and then allowing the audience to try to Oh, maybe they'll figure out this angle if they notice this, or, or oh, may I th- keep them guessing on who, who's doing what? And uh, it's, a, it's a really tight mystery. I like it a lot. Yeah. Is it ever hard to keep track of everything when you're writing it? <laughs> well, you know, I thought I was doing pretty good until I had to think of the other detective's name. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Um, Would that have been uh, Detective Epps? No, although I did, I I did try to get Erica here tonight, and I really wanted her to be able to chat with you all. Um, She's just busy with some other things, unfortunately. But um, no, it's oh man, Detective Allen. Thank you. Um, I was going to go there next. Yeah, Detective Allen. We had because he has this monologue in episode four where he's laying out this crime scene, and it was one of those things where like uh, we knew if somebody could nail that they could do a lot of things so we gave that to joel because we were having trouble casting that role but when he nailed that um and uh you know uh, uncle randy's role opened up because joel wasn't our first choice for that either (laughs) (laughs) just laying it out (laughs) to be be fair uncle randy was actually written for someone who wasn't available it wasn't a matter of um of somebody passing it was somebody who wasn't available who would have loved to have done it um, and Joel really grabbed that role and, and made it his own. And uh, his he also being a comedian really understands exactly where to take the line to with that character as far as the humor, but pulling back enough for there to be a lot of depth and heart there so that it's not overdoing it. Um, and he, he always, without me having to really, you know, tweak anything, he always understood the humor. And Aiden Bristow thinks it's hilarious how much I overdirect humor. So that's a big compliment. <laughs> to like to, to Joel, but um, but 
uh, all that said, that big monologue, Joel, you nailed it. And like, oh, Barry, no one nice. else, no one else really did until, you know, until Barry <laughs> came in and took that role from, for, for Detective Allen. Um, but we knew that if you could do that, that you could do Uncle Randy. Um, and uh, very, very thankful that you did. And a pretty quick turnaround on prep, too. That was that's impressive as well. You know, uh, taking I, that role. I had to laugh. Well, I pulled in wrong, so it was fine. No, if I could just uh, toot Dan's horn, too, as far as not even as far as keeping the story straight as with the writing. And not only are there so many twists and turns and characters and the, the, the epic scale of the second season, but we shot it over the course of correct me, Dan. Uh, two years? About that, yeah. March 2016 through two years. November 2017. Yeah, based on like scheduling and budget and everything else. And so we would shoot half a scene and then maybe come in six months later to finish up <laughs> the scene. And then as a great director, it's like, okay, just to remind you, here's where you are and here's where we got to get. You know, I mean, it was he had to keep it all in his head and you would just kind of show up with your own, you know, whatever work you did as an actor. But he would have to remind you, okay, this is where we are here in the story and over to here. You know, and sometimes you would shoot vastly three different scenes in one day. And it's like, okay, this is the first scene. The end of the series is this scene we're shooting first. The second episode, we're going to shoot second. Like, so just to, for him to not only juggle a script, but just juggle directing duties over the course of almost two years is a, a monstrous task as well. Well, I have to say, when I, when I heard Joel's character of Randy, Uncle Randy, and it was Holbrook, I'm like, wait, I know a Randy Holbrook from where I work and he's a lot taller. <laughs> you don't, you don't happen to play guitar, do you? No, okay. no, 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 no. But I can okay. sing Wonderwall acoustically. Just like <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, I mean, Randy was based on, I think Dan's friend, Randy, but uh, no, I'm interested. Maybe I'll see your Randy Holbrook at the next AA meeting or something. No, <laughs> probably not. He's out here. He's out here in Florida. Well, there's, a, oh, there, I, I, there is something to be said though with the characters and keeping track of everything because you know like keeping track of 300 pages of a character is difficult kind of no matter what but also uh aiden and corsica and ryan are tracking their characters over two seasons and a couple of years before we even started season two um and and it's like we i, I have to get into like very careful territory because we don't do a lot of spoilers if we can help it and you also haven't seen everything yet but there's a lot of playing multiple motivations for a lot of the characters. There's a lot of um, kind of dual performances because like we said, we want the show to look one way on the first watch and mean something else on the second watch. And that's not an easy thing to balance. Um, and I wish I could like, you know, call out exactly those performances directly, but even those things would be spoilers for a lot of the cast because a lot of the characters have things in their past that they are obscuring. Um, and one of the things that was fun about the making of the show was that if your character had a secret, we didn't always let the other characters in on it. So, you know, their performance would be based on a lack of information and so forth. So, um, yeah, it was a, it, it was kind of a fun thing to try and keep track of. But there was also moments where you have to direct around the spoiler because there's somebody in the room <laughs> that doesn't know the spoiler and there's somebody in the room who does, you know. Um, so that was weird. And it wasn't just a game he was playing because not everybody he was given the whole script. <laughs> okay. So like, honestly, I was wondering all... about that. So yeah. all you guys didn't know Aiden was a exotic dancer in yeah. Oh wait, yeah. never mind. We're, we're talking characters, not real life. Sorry, okay. Aiden. 
<laughs> I hope yeah, that's the- no, Ryan didn't even find out that Aiden was an exotic dancer until the premiere. <laughs> <laughs> I just well, finally the brought answer. the poll out to the premiere party. So I was like, okay, there it is. <laughs> See the whole show. So, so Aiden, is it six inch hills or three hills? three-inch hills that you use? Uh, it depends what type of tricks you want me to do. Uh, <laughs> it limits my movement a little bit, but with three inches, I can give you a more variety. Um, yeah. That was answered too quick, to be honest with you. That was a little bit yeah, too yeah. Cool. <laughs> A little too easy. So, Corsica, being a part of this cult as we're gathering uh, from the show so far, how hard was it for you to not go so you know really deep into it? Because I know a character could really take over personalities, and whatnot, as you're in that character. Uh, was it hard to snap out of that character when you were done shooting for the day or or for the week? Or um... well, it's I mean it's funny because we were shooting for so long that I really had a lot of time to get to know the character, and so it was you know Callie became very familiar, of course. Um, and easy to, to sort of jump in and out of. But I think the character herself, you know, Callie is someone who is kind of trying to separate herself from her past of being in the cult anyway. Um, and someone, you know, so she's is already trying to separate herself from that, you know, that kind of cult way of thinking. And, um, and so I think just in doing that, it was easy to sort of be able to go in and out of character and, and not really get into anything to too intense except you know in in certain moments of course okay what type of research did you have to do for the role and i asked this uh because when i was in high school many decades ago uh with our youth group we did something uh we did a youth group weekend where we instituted a a cult like activity where the whole weekend turned into oh we're going to brainwash you we're going to because because that whole that in the in the mid to late eighties, that was becoming topic again. And it was it was coming to the forefront again, and, and we were wanting to. Upstate New York, I don't know how it ended up being big up there again, but we we were bringing it up, and we actually brought in some people uh, who had escaped from cults wow. to help us with this to make sure we were getting <laughs> it was, make your weekend retreat cult to to make it as realistic as possible. It was it was it was wild. Um, I mean, thankfully, so, youth group. Wait, did you make it? Yeah, did you make a weekend cult? For real, or was it like a show? Or I'm it, so curious now. <laughs> it, it was. A, it was. A, we we started Friday night after services. After everyone left, uh, we did two night sleepover at the temple, um, and the rabbi was there. And my parents were there. And a few other parents were there. And, and we ran it by everyone, and we talked. You know, we made this a topic at youth group meetings each. You know, because leading up to this particular event, we did youth group meetings each week to discuss this topic. Because I mean, there were there were movies coming out on TV, TV shows. It was topics on TV. And it's like, there were a lot of questions like, well, this would be cool to turn this into a learning experience. What's this about? Wow. And thankfully, those of us who were officers of the um, youth group, we got to eat well. (laughs) While everyone else got got sludge and bread. And it's like, yep, this is what we're going to do. 
It's kind of like the LA McCobb set. Yeah. <laughs> so so the la- so the last night when when we went to end it going into dinner, we we did a big pizza party for everyone. It's like okay, and, and we sat down and we we discussed everything we had learned from the weekend. Uh, and it was just so interesting having you know, some people there who had been in cults who who left and 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 their family members who actually kidnapped them and pulled them out to try and go through the unbrainwashing. Um, to really allow us to, to get a in-depth experience. And I was just curious, did you, what, wow. what type of research you had to do for the role for someone who's been in a cult that's getting out? I didn't start my own cult. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know Dan. Maybe it's an idea for the future. But, you know, yeah, we really missed out, I think, on some good research there. Um, I, I've always been uh, fascinated, you know, with with, with rhetoric and, and persuasion in that sense, you know. And um, but on top of that, you know, I know Dan based a lot off the Manson family and Helter Skelter. And forever ago, I read that and um, researched into other cults and just kind of methods that they would use um, and just, you know, a lot of backstory on my own character and just the experiences that she would have had as a as a child being in a cult um, but even as we were filming you know like more shows were coming out and different stories of, of various cults and then even just acting things out was was really helpful doing creepy crawling in real life in a house you know just brought a lot of it you know it was like real real experience to the ideas and um imagine like research that i did just in imagining it um, yeah cool. did you see you creepy crawling somebody in real life <laughs> No. <laughs> She's in programmed. <laughs> She'll never admit to it. Well, I, another reason why I asked is my brother was working on the show um, Assassins in college. In which one of the characters is Squeaky From? Oh wow! Yeah. I I, th- I think it's Squeaky From, and the yeah. actress who plays Squeaky actually emailed Squeaky or not emailed, did actual letter correspondence to try and learn more about the character. I said, "Hey, I'm doing this role. I'd like to know a little bit about what you were thinking this and the other." All of a sudden, my brother's going for the. She found out when the show was premiering and sent the actress a care package. Whoa! As an opening night gift, it's like. Uh, yeah, I would be changing my address real quick. <laughs> Squeaky was the one that tried to assassinate Ford. Like, President Ford. Ford. Right, the gun jammed? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Hmm. But That's then, a pretty popular musical. I wonder if Squeaky just gets like messages from like college students. <laughs> like, hey, some research. Oh my gosh, you reached out. It's so sweet. <laughs> Hi, my name's Bart. I'm playing your. I'm playing you in the in the role of assassins. It's a drag show. What can you tell me? <laughs> That's a good show, though. If you've ever seen it, it's really yeah, good. it's a great show. I, I was kind of. I was kind of when when the movie Assassins came out. I'm like, ooh, they they transformed it. Yeah, no, a different type. That's the one with. Yeah. Uh, was it? Van and Sylvester Stallone. So, uh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Which one was squeaky? Was it Sly? Sly played squeaky, right? <laughs> <laughs> so good. Well, Banderas had the legs for it. <laughs> um. So 
how far into filming did you guys realize, okay, this is, this is a wild trip we're on and this is going to be a fun trip. <laughs> uh, I can't answer that. That has to be said. <laughs> Uh, when he st- when Dan stopped beating us on set, I think that's when it started getting fun. Uh, prior to that, though, I feel uh, you know we were all kind of on the fence of whether it was going to get better or not. When did he stop? Well, okay, well, in, in in Dan's defense, it does say in your IMDb you do like to be you you do like a hundred lashes with wet noodles. Wait, guys, was I the only one that he was lashing? I, I thought it was all of us. Oh, um, uh, no, to answer your question, oh, maybe he figured you liked it because you're an exotic dancer. That's there right. That's right. Sure. There's something about wet no- on this thing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but no, to, to, to answer your question, I think um, early on when we didn't have a lot of money for season one, um, you know, we, you could tell from the scripts that there was this bigger world that we were operating in. But a lot of the times like events would happen and you would really just catch us talking about it or like um, uh, kind of doing a debrief of things that were happening. But what was cool with season two was that we knew that the, the storyline had so much potential and the world was so big and we got so lucky with the crowdfunding and, and Dan and Dave doing putting their own resources into it to be able to actually make it a bigger world. So instead of talking about me going to the station, we could actually have a police station in season two and you'd actually see those things play out and, and, and the plot yeah. lines continue to grow. <laughs> I'll say for me, I think filming in Olancha, we did a lot of uh, different set pieces in that area. And you go up to Olancha, it's up 395, and it's like these gorgeous mountain ranges constantly just in the background. And uh, the scenery itself everywhere around is is beautiful. So it's like filming up there for a week and and doing all these different scenes. And that was a, you know, the physical world was expanding, not only for the characters, but for us as, as filmmakers as well. We were actually on on location in these big mountains and not just in uh in dan's apartment or something you know so we were that was for me i was like oh we are we are in it and then we're doing you know stunts with cars we're doing you know gunplay there's fights there's all these you know dynamic things happening that you know are far bigger than season one had so yeah that was that was it for me it was like yeah, I feel like once I came on set, people realized this was serious. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the true story. Now, I, I remember my first weekend shooting. Like Dan had given me that behemoth of a script that day, and I remember like I'm the kind of guy you know you go through and you, like you highlight all your lines and stuff. I remember we shot for the first three days of whatever I was shooting. And I kind of cross out scenes as I go. And I remember crossing out the scenes after the end of the weekend. I was like, okay, done with that scene, done with that scene. I was like, oh, there's so much more. <laughs> like, I was like, this is going to be a long one. <laughs> I, was, I just like crossed out like a page and a half. I was like, 298 and a half more to go. This is going to be <laughs> That's what, you know, It's easy to say yes to projects. And then when the reality hits you, you're kind of like, okay, all right, I better buckle down. Here we go. <laughs> Tell my mom I love her and let's do this. <laughs> Corsica. Corsica, what about you? Oh, I mean, yeah, I think I was going to – it's kind of a two-parter, I guess, because it's doing – 
doing season one, we weren't entirely aware of what was coming in season two. But I remember when we did the actual creepy crawl in season one. I don't know if it's just because I've told this story so many times, but it was kind of like the time when it really felt because the way Austin and we would film with it being on footage, she was the DP and was actually filming everything, although it was made to look like we were holding the camera and passing it off. And in doing so, developed this beautiful dance with choreography moving around each other and I remember just doing that particular uh, scene we we blocked it out and decided we could do it in one take and so we did and using just a simple camera we didn't have lights it was in the dark and so I broke into this house for real in the dark and played out this whole scene creepy crawling through this house in the dark and we were all quiet and it just was like really magical I mean it sounds <laughs> weird to call creepy crawling magical but it was just kind of like right felt like you know we were we were in it and we were doing it but we were kind of really you know becoming cohesive and so then it was similar like Joel when I when we got the script for season two knowing what we had done and seeing in in this you know massive script of where it was going and all of the like just what it builds to at the end of season two I just it made me so excited it, it was you know a, a lot of course and knowing what we were getting ourselves into but um just coming off of season one and seeing what we were about to get into for season two was really exciting. Okay. Of course, uh, did you say you creepy crawled in real life again? Is that what you <laughs> heard again? I, no comment. You know, right. <laughs> well, while Corsica while Corsica demonstrates the creepy crawl, we'll be right back after this message. Have you ever wanted to deeply connect with someone the way Vision does with Scarlet Witch? Or be the stand-up guy like Cyclops is for Jean Grey? Well, you don't have to be fused to an Infinity Stone or be the leader of a superhero team to have the kind of relationships in life we all long for. Mark Went is a men's wisdom coach. And after people work with him, they have the confidence, emotional intelligence, and communication skills they need to be the heroes of their own story. To find out more, go to markwentcoaching.com. That's M-A-R-C-W-E-N-D-T coaching.com. And we're back. Um, so I totally forgot where I was going to go. Um, All that. Can I add one thing to what kind of everyone talked about? Just yeah. to toot Dan a little bit. Um, I think what Dan does did really well with season one that made uh, so many people love it. And for us, and made it possible to do season two is, and, and this was, uh, I, I would say, consistent with what he did with the first feature uh, that he did that I worked, I was lucky to work on called Claire's. He has this ability to write scripts uh, that are uh, fiscally very uh, practical uh, and with doing that without ever compromising story. I think we've all probably seen things where there's something like odd in a movie or a show and you can easily chalk that up to like, oh, they ran out of money or their budget didn't allow them to do something that like obviously the story needed. And I would say that with Dan, you never feel that way. And I thought after uh, season one and season two, we wouldn't need to have those practicalities. But instead of having a regular season two, Dan decided to write an extra 200 pages. And therefore, uh, even though we had more money on season two, it barely ever felt like we did because we were so ambitious. Um, so but but again, it, he does it really seamlessly, which I, I think is a, um, a testament to his talent. Yeah. And also to and shout out to 
Austin Smoke, too, who did the, the, camera, the camera work. I mean, just when I I didn't see any dailies until we shot out in Salt Sea, which is just outside of Palm Springs. And it's this amazing. I mean, it's set up for production. It's where a bunch of uh, freaks and, uh, you know, people trying to hide from the law live. And it's I mean, freaks in a good way. It's, a, it's you a know, you, place. <laughs> it takes us. Yes. Sure, it, sure. It, in, in a, a lovely reference to people who live outside of uh, Los Angeles. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we saw as if Los Angeles is not. Those freaky. people watch L.A. Macabre, too, Joel. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a motel right now. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, but it's, it's an amazing place. And, and, and I didn't see those until we shot out there. And it was, uh, I think we were down to, I think it was Dan, Dave, Austin with the camera, and a couple actors. And we shot some amazing, some a, a day of footage. And then we're like, let's, you know, at the end of the day, we're like, let's watch the footage. And I, re- I never watched dailies, but I was like, I just want to see what they shot. The fact that what they shot with the amount of people and money they had to shoot what they shot, it looks like a million dollar production. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's stunning. You would think that you had, you know, probably a crew of a hundred and this and that and the other. It was, it's absolutely stunning. Just uh, uh, what I saw on that camera that day. And I mean, we were a year and a half into it, so I couldn't have quit anyway. But uh, <laughs> like, I think I said yes a year and a half ago. It's, you know, it looks, it looks absolutely stunning. So it's a testament to Dan and Austin for sure. Probably should have shown you, Dan. Sooner. <laughs> <laughs> I already said yes. I already had the beer bought for me. You know I was in until I dried up. <laughs> <laughs> now I know you put the, you put the show on Amazon, and with Amazon, they're pretty open about syndicating web shows. Have you heard from anyone uh, about um, picking it up? No, not yet. We would really that's love a shame. that. That's a shame. Yeah, because it's a great show. You know, it's just getting out there though. Like it only premiered on Amazon. The second season only premiered on Amazon, uh, like the last or like the very beginning of November. Um, so it's only been out there for a little while, and people are still discovering it. And we're hoping that they will keep discovering it, um, and, and hopefully build some sort of momentum, a critical mass, where you know a production company or a streaming network or even just a well-heeled investor will say like you know we want to be a part of season three um we i would love to finish telling the story it is a three-season arc and there are spin-off stories you can tell from it like it's a very rich universe i have, I have a lot of things i'd love to do with it um but right now we're just kind of hoping that, that other people want to see that badly enough that there will be a demand created for it or that you know amazon or whoever will will reach out and and want to enable that um so i think we're just kind of waiting to see what happens now well hopefully uh hopefully we can help out a little with that at least with with you being on our show hey hey. (laughs) oh i just i just heard funding from we be geeks i heard that i heard it again i don't i don't think that's what was said i meant viewers (laughs) we saying corsica to creepy crawl you and take the checkbook You know she does it. You know she does it in real life. And, 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 and then she's going to hand it off to Aiden, who's going to who's going to spin around the pole and pass it off to Dan, and who's going who's going who's going to pass it off to Joel when he buys him a beer. Ryan, I don't know where you fit in all this, but I don't know. I have I ask myself that plenty of times. Um, now, when when shooting on some of these remote locations, um, it, it being said that these are areas that are are well known for other stuff. Did you find yourselves out shooting when other people were also shooting in that same area for projects? I mean, has that happened? 
Um, huh. I'll try and answer this quickly because I, I I don't I know that some of the places we filmed out are very popular um, go to locations, especially for indie projects, and that would be places like. Silver Dream Factory, where we filmed the the, the um, hospital and the police station. Um, but honestly, no, a lot of these locations we got on our own. Um, and I think that that gives the show a lot of life and individuality. Um, there are places like the NoHo Diner in North Hollywood, where I just used to have breakfast there most mornings, and they were nice enough to let us film there. And they told me, they were like, we don't usually let people film here, but we like you. Uh, <laughs> wow. So It must really like you yeah they were very kind because they let us film there multiple times um so there was that and then a lot of these other locations i mean i know that people do film up in olancha i know that um trimmers filmed out in that area like you know back in the day um i know people do film out near the salton sea but uh but i think just like getting places like the noho diner you know and um some of the some of the locations that happened later in season two that I don't want to spoil, um, they uh, I think that they give the 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 show a lot of um, I don't know like an aesthetic individuality that's interesting. I think that the big location in the finale, and you'll know what I'm talking about when you get there. I think it's been filmed out one or two times, but a different production went in there and kind of after we had left and kind of burned them so to speak, like didn't treat the place very well, and so nobody's allowed to film there anymore. Oh, wow. um, and so I think only a couple uh, of places have actually filmed in that. And, and I, yeah. I kind of love that we have that kind of, um, you know, that, that kind of stamp on it. Uh, I will say that, like, I, I love the movie Duel. And so there's some car stuff that we filmed in a lot of the same locations as Duel up near, like, Acton and, and Canyon Country. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's a motel that we filmed at. You, a lot of Ryan and Randy scenes are at that motel. And I've seen that in some in some films and in some yeah. shows recently. I've seen that re- very recently, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, it, you know, it happens. But a lot of my favorite locations are the ones that, like, are pretty unique to, to us, I think. So if you're out in California, uh, out in Hollywood, do like I'm going to do and go to the NoHo Diner and tell them, put it on Dan Ass's tab. I mean, tell them Dan Ass sent you. Oh, you think he has a budget. That's sweet. <laughs> oh, man, they would love to shout out, though. I mean, like, they're good. they would appreciate that, just just having their names out there, I think. Uh, they're, they're a real, you know, low-key uh, operation, and I really I dig it. It's a it's a it's a old school 1950s diner that I think oh. has been there since 1959 oh, yeah. and then exposed you know, right a bunch of black photos on the wall like you see it in the show it, it is that place we didn't touch it at all <laughs> see I, I love right. diners like that yeah I mean if we're if we're driving you know, when we were on vacation if it was one of those oh let's go to a diner or someplace like Waffle House but hey look there's an actual diner. <laughs> Non-franchised. Yeah. Well, when, <laughs> yeah. when yeah. my when my wife and I moved down here uh, towards the Orlando area, we were living in Orlando uh, while I was going to to school to to the audio school here in town, and we had a place called Magic Diner, and it was set up look wise. I mean, it wasn't the the box car train car mm-hmm. parked in the in the front, built off the back, but it looked like a. F- a Floridian style diner with all the neon and it was magic. It was called magic city diner because you know, Disney and the Orlando magic, um, even though it was newer, it had the vibe of the, of an older 
and and it had the the, the taste of an older and, and I love that aspect. That that's a diner my, that went me over all the time. My rule is if the waitress isn't smoking while she's working, I'm not stopping. My rule. <laughs> smoking, I'm not stopping. Literally with a cigarette. That's what I do. Okay. It's a good greasy spoon. We have, we have some nice diners out here yeah, in Massachusetts and yeah, some you do. small towns. Yeah, you do. Actually, some of you agree. No, I actually haven't spent enough time in Massachusetts to know. I was born there, but I wasn't raised there. But I believe you. <laughs> well, but you said you lived in Daytona Beach. You, you probably I grew up in Daytona. Yeah. So you, you you probably know some of the diners that I may be referencing on A one A. Yeah. Right there, yeah. right right there on the beach strip. There there's some really good ones. There's a good one right there by the uh, convention center. Oh, which one's that? Uh, <laughs> I don't remember the name of it. It's last time I was there. There was a huge. Like twenty twenty five story hotel right across the street. Oh wow! Oh, wow. No, Aiden, no. That's her name is Magic Diner. Actually, they should call it Aiden the Magic Diner. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's the way to go. His, his, his scrambled egg special, <laughs> <laughs> covered in smothered. Yes, please. <laughs> oh, oh man! <laughs> You're gonna edit that, right? <laughs> oh no! There's, oh, there's no. a few tremble sections here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I'm just, the good news for you guys is we we don't really cut out much. So <laughs> I, I'm sitting here trying to think of, of name. Watch yourself. Uh, of, of name for this title for this episode and there's been so many but i think now covered and smothered with the cast of la macabre is up there <laughs> oh that's, <laughs> that's, that's up there Dan the tagline actually that, that was dan's original tagline for la macabre it's called covered and smothered it's a barrel reference it's a barrel thing speak okay speaking of barrels how difficult yeah. was it to shoot that that whole sequence because we see that off and on throughout the show. The uh, the the one in uh, with with Christina Wren, uh, yeah. JP. Uh, that was actually uh, that was not necessarily difficult to shoot logistically because the interiors we had a couple of plastic barrels and we cut holes into the side and Austin was operating the GoPro with her hand making it look like it was floating in water. So the water could never come up high enough to actually fill the barrel or put her in any sort of danger. So that the interior stuff was easy. Um, I do know that when we did these stuff out in the desert of um, of Ryan and Colin pulling JP out of the barrel, she she was talking recently about how the time where she would have to go down into this barrel, which was only about half full with water, because we didn't want to. Re- First of all, we didn't have enough water in the desert to really fill it up. And secondly, we didn't really we didn't really want to create the potential for her to be deep in water in a barrel. Um, we just needed enough water to like kick up when she came out and for her to be like wet and everything. But she, um, she talks about how being in that barrel waiting for the actors and the cast and the crew to kind of get into position to start Uh, that moment where they run up and get out and pull her out. She was like, it probably wasn't very long, but those moments felt really long. Like I was waiting in there for a while. Um, And of course, like, yeah. And like, honestly, the sound of like the, um, you know, like the chain being positioned on top of the barrel and everything was very, very loud, you know? So uh, I know like, uh, you know, 
Christina is a professional and she's a champ and she's just like a really easy, fun, wonderful person to work with. Um, but, uh, but I know that like, you know, there was probably a bit of anxiety about like, okay, go on the barrel. And the we'll be right back. You know, I'm sure, I'm so, sure that wasn't her favorite part, but, but, um, so because, uh, of, so because of that barrel, she was probably the most prepared for 2020. <laughs> <laughs> you very well may have been. <laughs> so wh- where did the idea for the barrels, how did that come about? I just have a lot of terrible stuff kicking around upstairs and every once in a while it ends up in script. <laughs> Such a calm, okay. so, 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 guy. So it was, it was, so it was not, somewhere. so it was not from a life experience from when you were a kid. Fortunately, not that one. <laughs> <laughs> Not that aspect right. of the story. <laughs> Tell us about your mother, Dan. <laughs> he was a sweet woman. Oh, wait, sorry. <laughs> I want to say something, but it looks like Derek, you got a question. No, go ahead. You go no, ahead. Go ahead. No, you gonna... go ahead. <laughs> I don't have anything. That's why. <laughs> I'll go. Really nice. Nice about your creepy <laughs> Do you really creepy crawl in real life? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I have a feeling that uh, you might have somebody creepy crawling in your house soon, Joel. <laughs> hey, and sorry, Joel. As much as you're trying with the creepy crawling, covered and smothered is still winning out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to not getting my way. <laughs> <laughs> so are you so, go ahead I was going to say so how how much how much did you take um inspiration from things like the Mansons and uh and things that happened in real life um I mean I guess you know the the initial concept was very Manson inspired you know um and it kind of evolved from there like I just kind of had this thought of what would happen if you realized that you know this this very unassuming waiter at the local diner you know is used to be in the Manson family um and and like how cool would it be to talk to them and how interesting would that be and then you, you start to wonder like what happened what happens if you ask somebody to start reliving that kind of trauma like would that would that become a problem like would they you know would they start to relapse you know what how responsible would you be for that um so that was kind of like the kernel of it um and i thought that was a fun idea but i i just kind of wanted to grow the story outside of just that central question you know so bringing in the notion of well what is this cult still out there you know are are you causing Callie to relapse or if by putting her out there you've drawn the attention of a cult you didn't think existed anymore or you know what is the danger from but you know it started with just how creepy the concept of the Manson family is and how easy it was to manipulate a certain group of people I mean we don't see that anymore you know we don't we don't see people manipulated <laughs> on a large scale to believing something that's not real you know <laughs> such a long time okay so do, I, I do you know. not do you not remember the last four years? <laughs> the people can understand that, like, this was a thing. We're, we're obviously very far past it now. Um, we've grown a lot as a country. Um, but, uh, but, uh, Nobody's programmed. I mean, it really, it really did just start with the Manson family. Yeah. But it developed from the characters. 
um, from there, like they, they, they start to make their own decisions. And then based on that, um, really particularly season two was a lot of fun because at that point I wasn't just writing the characters. I was writing the characters for the cast. You know, I knew what Corsica could bring to that character that would really help her shift course and evolved in, in, in season two a lot. You know, I knew what Aiden and Ryan were bringing to it. Um, Joel came right in and like played it to a T, but still also made it his own. You know, it's, it was a lot of fun, like letting the characters and the cast kind of guide that, you know, what their abilities were guided the story to an extent. Callie's story was always on a particular trajectory, but it changed dramatically from season one, the plan for her in season one to the plan for her in season two. Um, and that's, uh, based on the scale of the story and how that grew, that became true for all the characters. Uncle Randy wasn't necessarily going to be that big of a role initially. Um, Ryan was always kind of in the position that he was in, but the, the number of elements and characters and storylines that he's dealing with, you know, um, definitely grew. You know, even decisions for, for Aiden playing Colin changed based on the characters that his character is surrounded with. You know, um, so the, it definitely grew in season two, and that's cool. Like, it, I no longer feel like in season two I was looking at the Manson family as much. It was easier to look at at the cast, you know, at the story that we'd already told and where we wanted it to go, and let it be its own thing and kind of plant its own. Right. Well, I'm going to put this question out to all of y'all. Since season two wrapped and you you had it in the can, getting it out there, um, and you said this was inspired by the Manson family, uh, I want to say 2019, they released the lost tapes of the Manson family. And I think it aired uh, either on CBS or History Channel, Discovery Channel, one of those. Have y'all watched any of that? And with you, Dan, if you had, how has that, how will those tapes po- or that show possibly change? change things for season three you know i i haven't watched that yet um and i think that when i was writing season one i was i was definitely inspired by helter skelter i read some other books about manson to kind of prepare for season two and then ended up not really needing a lot of what i read in those things i think that we're at a place now where the story doesn't draw from the manson family anymore it was good for the initial setup but the um, the dynamics of, of the new family, you know, the, the cult that Bennett was in charge of, and he had these characters within that cult that he butts heads with or that were, like, very loyal to him, and the dynamics of that are very, very different than the Manson family, and they've really had the chance to kind of develop unto themselves. So while I, you know, I think if I were to, like, reference Manson at all, it would just be to get a refresher on how he did what he did, but... But as a story, um, I don't really kind of point back to that that often anymore for inspiration. Okay. Yeah, I think the series goes. I think it's it's amazing how it starts out kind of like Dan said. It's very Manson family. That's the first season, and it's like these two filmmakers are trying to film it, and that's really the impetus for kicking off the story. And then season two kind of morphs out of that found footage to kind of more of a narrative. And the more characters you add in, the more it just becomes about the relationship and the mystery and the twists and turns. And and it kind of it's amazing how organic. Organically, it goes from this kind of found footage Manson family-esque homage to this kind of really deep, interesting mystery, even with all the the, the, the guest stars and players that come in are, are, are so amazing as well, that it's kind of morphed into a whole different thing. It's kind of morphed into this beautiful narrative. 
uh, I just used the Manson family as kind of an impetus, you know. Uh, that being said, I will vouch that Dan has the creepiest bookshelf in uh, probably the Valley. <laughs> <laughs> there are way more cult books than you would expect on a shelf. Uh, so I, I'll vouch for his research. It's almost unnerving. <laughs> yeah, and I, uh, I remember like early on when we had conversations uh, just at a coffee shop, like going over uh, the season one script. Um, there was like a lot of conversations of uh, other kind of cult figures outside of the Manson family. Like, we talked about Jim Jones and uh, Heaven's Gate and uh, Children of God and, and, and those kind of scenarios. And like the one through line between all of it, I felt was just how do these seemingly charismatic figures get all these people behind them and to follow them on their cause. And um, there's this one like really famous book called uh, Man's Search for Meaning by this uh, therapist, Dr. Uh, Victor Frankel, and talks a lot about it, the idea of like, if you give the human being a why of like why they're supposed to exist, then the how um, almost becomes insurmountable. Uh, and so the, you're willing to go to any lengths to, to, to accomplish the how if you already know what the why is. And I think that that kind of rings true for uh, as far as the through line with all these cults is like these charismatic people are able to uh, indoctrinate these followers by giving them a why. And then the how they make the why happen doesn't matter if there's murder or if it's uh, martyrdom or what it may be. Um, you can get those followers to, to do that. And that, that's a very human thing and very universal thing. I think that's why we keep seeing um, the, the, this being a cyclical uh, kind of pandemic in a way, but of a pandemic of the mind. Dude, Dan's a cult leader. I just put it together, <laughs> sucked us all in. Over the yeah. Corsica's made that assertion as well. It's, right. <laughs> it, well, that program. it's covered it's, it's covered and smothered. <laughs> Dan's like our Jim Jones. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> speaking of which, how how long was it before you guys felt it was safe to drink the Kool-Aid in catering? <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of weird that there was literal Kool-Aid at the uh, the crafting table there. That was a little disconcerting, but, you know, I think it was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> we all disappeared. <laughs> See, Dan didn't want to kill us all because he knew he needed to have us around to finish the series, so... Yeah, he didn't really like it. Everybody's safety is dependent on us finding money for season three. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> season three? Awesome. So, so don't drink don't drink the Kool-Aid on the final day. Um so so uh Corsica, when you were when you when you're doing a role like Callie and and preparing for it and everything, did you ever did you ever think about some of the stuff she must have gone through and, and what it must have been like to be her being in this cult and everything? Of course, yeah. I mean in a weird way I thought about it makes you think about just your childhood in general and how formative of is it is, of course, you know, and how it makes you who you are. And so then to have your childhood mm. be this, you know, fake almost false reality created for you. You and, and these people that you are so dependent on and to kind of have it all, you know, realize it all as an illusion and have it all taken away and then be this person who doesn't even have a true identity or, you know, um, in, in the real world, it kind of also creates a, a obstacle for her own independence, you know, um, after, you know, getting away from, from her childhood. So, um, immensely. Yeah. It's, it's, a. Um, I think in one, yeah, one of the episodes, I'm not sure if you guys are there yet, but there's a little bit of, um, of, of Kelly's sort of transition from the cult into kind of finding her own, um, which was a really 
fun montage. One of my favorite sequences. I love yeah, that, that sequence. Um, and yeah, uh, it's I, I can't begin to imagine the the struggle of someone trying to break from something so dependent and you know mm. economy. I'm not there yet, but I can only imagine that Dan's used the song from in li- from Living Color, Cult of Personality, for that transition. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to do it. I'm a father. Bad dad jokes. Yeah. Well, I, I discovered. I, I like that song because it's stuck in my head now. <laughs> hey, I love that song. I actually got to see them live I do too. I was work. Ah. I was working. They were opening for the Stones in Pittsburgh the night they won oh, their wow. their four um, MTV awards, and wow. and it was a mistake. They made the mistake because they were only supposed to show one, but they had all four because they were thinking, oh, there's one for each of us. And there's four there. And then it's like, oh, <laughs> so the next time they won an award, it's like, there's only two. It's like, wait, you guys had four last time. Um, but the, I was working uh, stage crew, local stage crew for that. And that was a fun show. I like them. Believe it or not, I actually like them better than Stones that night. Whoa! That was the reason. Great rock guitarist. I'll say that right now. Oh yeah, yeah. rock guitarists. Yeah, yeah. Yes. But that, that was oh, yeah. that was the Steel Wheels tour of uh, 1989, which was a great. It was a great Stones show, but I was more fascinated. I mean, I knew the Stones. I was more fascinated by Living Color. Corsica wasn't alive then, so you gotta like uh, you gotta. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was. <laughs> <laughs> I was freshman. I was freshman in college. So, hey, I, I'll admit I'm old. I, I'm, I'm right there with you, Joel. Maybe not as old as you. But. <laughs> <laughs> I moisturized for this. I thought we were going to be on video. I moisturized. This is way too on audio. What's the point of being covered in smother with moisturizer? Covered in smother. That's the magic word. Drink up, everybody. <laughs> Been smothered. The magic words on Pee Wee's Playhouse. Covered and smothered. Oh, that's, that's got. Yeah, I, I feel like we should start screaming every time we hear that. Yeah. <laughs> hear what? Nice try. I'm not saying it. <laughs> so is this live? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's that soundbite actually came from uh, when we did an interview with Curtis Armstrong himself. Oh, many years ago. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Corsica, Revenge of the Nerds was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. No, it's good. I'm doing a remake of it. So really, are they? Yeah, Seth MacFarlane wants to do a remake. No. <laughs> no. no. I like Seth, but no. It was one of those you yeah, just leave it alone. Yeah. yeah. So, Korska, I hope you know where Joel lives so you can go creepy crawly in his house. <laughs> this is a good thing about being virtual, like being like at a distance. <laughs> I feel like I feel safe. It's being complimentary. Unless she's actually in your house now and you don't know it. Yeah. Oh. No, 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 no. I, no, Robert, Robert Ross needs to sleep over here. <laughs> um, so at the moment, what are the plans for season three? Uh, the plans are 
somebody gives us the ability to make season three and then I'll write it. (laughs) And uh, I mean, like I have a pretty good sense of where I want it all to go, you know, but season two definitely took on a life of its own while I was writing it. It wasn't supposed to be 300 pages. Um, So, you know, it it could happen, you know, we could end up with a 600 page season three and then you could end up with me being murdered and put in a barrel somewhere that nobody has to make it. Um, but uh, th- there is a plan for it. It is supposed to be the final season. Um, I do have spinoff ideas that I want to do. I have, a, I have a feature that I've written that is a spinoff uh, in that universe that takes place parallel to season one. Um, and I have a sequel that could go off of that and it would probably dovetail into season three. So like the characters from that would end up in season three somewhere. Um, Let's not forget the Randy files. Yeah. The uncle Randy files. We want right. to do a prequel right. season. <laughs> yeah. so it's just Joel played by like, uh, what's the kid from solo? <laughs> <laughs> no. Ah, yes. Oh, I can play me minus 10 years. I'll stop drinking. I promise. <laughs> not going to stop drinking. I love the idea that it would take place 10 years in, in, in the previous to season two, and it would still be like a 25 year old playing Uncle Randy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so there's, there's a, like I said, there's a lot of potential to like build that universe out. And I, I do want to make this feature that takes place parallel. And that might actually, that that has the potential to get made before a season three, um, just because that's only one feature instead of trying to make three at once. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, there's that would be something I would like to do, and I'd like to do relatively soon. Um, and I'd like to do season three, but it took a year to write season two, so I'm not going to spend a year writing season three until I know we're going to do it. <laughs> So, you know, everybody send your money because if not, like, you know, the secrets die with me. <laughs> or share, share the show well, even with, though uh, you with have your friends. Share the show with everybody. <laughs> Definitely, yes. Uh, are you going to so do Even though you haven't written season three yet, do you have an actual ending in mind? Yes. Yeah. It's, I'm doing uh, the Harry Potter thing here where, like, the, the final chapter was written a long time ago and, like, everything's kind of careening toward that. Um, I'm definitely, uh, yes. you know, the, the show expanded in such a way in season two that I expect it will expand similarly in season three beyond what I have specifically in mind right now. Um, but I do have a place that I want it to end and, um, and, and it's, it's just a lot of fun moving the pieces around to get it there and making sure that those character motivations guide that story and not have the story guide the characters, you know? Um, so that'll be the trick, you know, I've sent Dan copious season three notes and I don't know how many he's integrated, but, uh, (laughs) probably every other day I send him a a nice lengthy email about some ideas. (laughs) Must be going to my spam folder. (laughs) (laughs) I'll resend them. I'll resend them. Yeah. I got it. It must be nice to have, have somebody like go around to help you out. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how I would get by without him. So. <laughs> now, are, are you look? Are you looking to do the crown? 
uh, crowdfunding again for season three or? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) That delivery. That was. (laughs) We would really, I don't, I don't think any of us have any desire to do that again. It's not that it was a bad experience. It's just that, I mean, everybody was incredible. You know, uh, the team really came together. It was a very stressful experience and um, it was almost as hard as making the show itself um in some ways that's work in itself just doing that yeah and and, you know more stressful i think more more stressful more anxiety less fun a lot less (laughs) fun than actually making the thing (laughs) now which platform did you use we used kickstarter and we used we we hired a crowdfunding coach justin giddings the kickstarter guy i highly highly recommend him he deserves a shout out and he also plays a cameo in uh he has a couple of scenes in uh, a couple episodes in season two, which was not a quid pro quo thing. It was just, he's also an actor and he's got a great look and he's really good. So I just wanted to work with him. Uh, but, uh, but so, yeah. So uh, you moved Joel out of his roles so you could put him in. How did I get cut? I, start, I started off so good. <laughs> Every time we had to put somebody better in a role, somehow Joel ended up with more lines. I don't know. That's happened. <laughs> Um, I will say this though, as far as the the, the crowdfunding goes, that Dan and the, the three here, of course, like Aiden and Ryan did, that was probably ninety percent of why I got on board with doing this. I mean, the script was great and everything else, but seeing the passion of the of the crowdfunding, I was just like, these guys really believe in this project, like. You know, and it seemed, you know, they, they seemed they, they were they were talented and they were legit and they were passionate. And I was like, this is actually something that's going to happen because so many times you crowdfund something and it either doesn't happen or it comes off half ass. And I was just like, when I watched the crowdfunding <laughs> campaign, I was like, OK, that's that, that seems like a project that everybody's kind of passionate about is actually doing it. So. I mean, it got, it got, you know, it got me on board and I didn't bring any money to it, but, uh, <laughs> but, but the passion, but it's the passion of the people already involved in season one that you're just like, if, if season two is half as good as season one is, it's going to be a great thing to be a part of. And season two is, you know, just as good as season one was. So, uh, so kudos to, kudos to you all for doing that. If, if, <laughs> for, if for some reason you lost your mind and decided you want to go back and try crowdfunding again, would you, would you stay with Kickstarter or where it's an all or none scenario or would you go over to Indiegogo and you get whatever's been pledged no matter what? Dan so you get someone already gave me permission. Dan already actually gave him permission to shoot him in the face if he ever did that. Uh, so it have, I, 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 We have it in writing where he was like, Aiden, please end my life. If I yeah, was just, that was your writer? <laughs> yeah, yeah it, wouldn't, it wouldn't actually uh, happen, guys. Just so you know. But theoretically, continue, Dan. What, what are you going to say? <laughs> <laughs> He's right. Um, no, like Indiegogo is a great platform. And we had, I had used them for other things, including Claire that I made with uh, Aiden and, and Corsica. Um, they're great. But like we went with Kickstarter for season two for precisely the same reason that, that uh, we would do it for season three in some weird alternate universe where we did a Kickstarter again, um, <laughs> because the all or nothing aspect of it really helps you as a crowdfunder. It also really helps your audience understand that, like, if we don't make this happen, then we don't make it happen. And so uh, we knew with season two, you know, even though I hadn't finished 
the ridiculously long script yet, that it was still going to be a pretty big undertaking. And we didn't want to put ourselves in a position of trying to do that with less than we thought we needed. So we, you know, we very smartly decided, like, if we don't get the amount we need, then we won't have to make it. And so, uh, and then then I wrote a 300-page script and it wasn't enough money. So So we just did it, you know, we did it anyway, but we're not doing that again. And and the... So come some of the practical reasons, you know, there were some heroes towards the end of the campaign who, you know, when you see that they're going to they're close to making it, we're close to making it and they just need this much more or it's going to happen and you can save the day and be that last person or it's not going to happen at all. We had so many people who were kind enough to they had already donated and then they donated again just to make us cross that finish line. I don't think that's something you get with uh, the Indiegogo model where it's not all or nothing. You you donate once and it's like, OK, yeah, they'll. They're, they're going to get what they get, you know? Great. But that finish line marker really helps people kind of help you help you cross it. That makes a lot of sense, actually, yeah. It, it, I guess it, it just helps to show – Kickstarter shows just how passionate you are about the project, that you, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're going to push more to try and get across that finish line, whereas with Indiegogo, it's like, yeah, I get what I get, and I'm, I rework it however. Yeah. Plus Aiden's tip money from dancing. I think it was really yeah. <laughs> the one. Uh, so what is... Do you OnlyFans, Aiden? Sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, no, I like to keep it person to person. I uh, It gets lost in translation, my talents, when I try to do it virtually. Uh, it's really only good when I can see it with your own eyes. You need, to, you need to be able to smell and taste that experience, too. So what is, what does y'all's future lie uh, with everyone? What do you guys have coming up next? Somebody else start. Um, I'm right now I'm developing a podcast that I hope to, uh, start. It's going to be an interview podcast, um, start sending out invites in the next month and, uh, see where it goes. My first time doing anything in the podcast realm, uh, other than being on awesome podcasts. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited for that. Yeah. Well, welcome to the club. Thanks. Yeah. I might be, uh, hitting you guys up for some, uh, do's and don'ts or something, you know, (laughs) Uh, we'd love to get a spot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Corsco, what about you? Um, nothing really in these COVID times, pre-COVID, and hopefully once things settle back down, I was doing a um, I was about to go do a zombie movie, which is actually a sequel to a film called Dead Season that I did um quite a while ago. Um, and it was going to be kind of its own film, but also a sequel to, um, to that one. Um, and I was, and am very excited, but hopefully if that, um, ever happens. Um, and I also do a bit of writing, dabbling, um, in historical fiction. So I've been working on a few things here and there of that, which is fun. Oh, cool. (laughs) Well, when your next book comes out, please come back. We'll talk about it. For sure. (laughs) Uh, so Aiden, what club are you featuring that next yeah. Uh, yeah. my, my industry is pretty shut down right now uh, <laughs> oh, come on it's California rebel but my side business uh, my acting career which is really just uh, you know to supplement my dance career um, I, uh, I'm currently working on uh, Halo uh, 
um, uh, the video game, the next one that comes out in November. So I've, I've been working on that last year, and then uh, I start up again next week on that. So I'll be Excellent. pretty busy with that. And then nice. um, I, I acted in a, a psychological horror film that I also produced uh, called The Believer, and uh, we uh, sold that movie, and it's getting released in April. So uh, Excellent. Congrats, man. Excellent. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's a little uh, thriller. We have um, Billy Zane in it. Um, yeah, yeah, he's got uh, some, some cool moments in there. Uh, but, yeah, unfortunately, because of, like, covid things, we won't uh, be able to probably do anything theatrical. We were hoping for, like, a limited theatrical, so we'll uh, we'll be on, like, pay-per-view and things like that uh, starting uh, mid-April. Hey, so you got the Phantom. Can't go along with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's one of those lesser-known movies that he's known for. Oh, that's, yeah. That's a great one. That was a good – it was it was a good film. So, for, um, what about you, Joel? Definitely, I'm going to have to get Halo. I love the Halo franchise. I did not know there was a new one coming, so I'm, it's on my list now. Yeah, it was actually supposed to come out last oh, yeah. year, but um, with everything going on, they, they pushed it a full year. Um, wow. So, but yeah, I, I actually never played Halo, and uh, it's been, they like, I think they factor in uh, more time every time I have to show up to work just to like educate me on what the, uh, sorry, what the hell I'm actually talking about. <laughs> so, usually the first, the first few minutes of me. Uh, uh, when I get there on set is just them showing me YouTube clips of like what the things are I'm actually saying and if they're a good guy or a bad guy and what the world's look like which is a lot of fun because they're very passionate and um, so that's uh, it's really cool to kind of feed off of them and then uh, explore this new world now, if there you are want... so many geeks out there right now like angry geek <laughs> actors who are yeah, like yeah. <laughs> if, if you want to impress them find the Halo Nerf Blaster and walk into the studio with that one day <laughs> if you make it past security <laughs> right right it's like I have no idea what a Halo, Halo Nerf Blaster is <laughs> it, says, it says her right on the package um, good to know good to know I appreciate the tip uh, Joel what about you uh, as someone who works primarily in live theater, stand-up comedy, and hosting live events, it's been a fallow year. Um, uh, <laughs> no, it's you know I, I, I'm working on a, a, a one-man show that I'm doing out in Palm Springs. That was supposed to be live for a while, so they're moving it over to Zoom. So it's going to be a one-man show on uh, on a Zoom platform, which they're still figuring out the the aspects of it because it's supposed to be very interactive and live. Um, it's a published show. It was like ten oh, years ago cool. they published it. And it's a great yeah. So trying to figure out how to do it for a Zoom audience when it's supposed to be very interactive uh, live show. So uh, doing that, flying out to host events at the Super Bowl this year. We'll see. Hey, my neck of the woods. Down but in my neck of the woods. The Florida's wide open, so I should be able to get out there. Um, hey, uh, yeah, yeah. I want to say, yeah. say goodbye to everybody before I go. And uh, hey, 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 hey. That's where I live. I know. I'm, no, I'm, a, I'm an hour and a half away from the stadium. Come on. Florida's beautiful. I'm just saying hosting live huge sporting events uh, <laughs> this time is uh – uh, it's it's a dicey prospect at best, but I'm happy for the paycheck. I love it. I you know I, it's, I host some events at the Super Bowl every year, so I do it. Uh, 
And then uh, I, when everything shut down at the start of this, I drove around the country and took pictures around America of all the America shut down during COVID, like oh, Bourbon wow. Street, Times Square, and everything else. So I took these photos because I had nothing else oh, to do. Wow. And uh, they just got into the Smithsonian. They're archived by the Smithsonian now. And uh, they're going to do it oh, cool. at the Smithsonian Institute up in D.C. So I'm a professional photographer all of a sudden. Oh, sweet. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I've, I've, I've pivoted to photography. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, what type or the events that you do for the Super Bowl? Is it for a specific company or specific? Um... The NFL. NFL, actually. Though. Okay. It's, it's all there. It's all there specific sponsored with the NFL events. What they do for the Super Bowl are different kind of uh, interactions they have. Okay. So interviews or like uh, running their events or uh, the day of the game, like hosting events outside the game, uh, interviewing Hall of Famers, whatever, kind of whatever they say, whatever they have going on. They're like, we need a host to do this. And you just kind of show up and have oh, fun very, with people. Very cool. Yeah, it's been fun. It's, it's a gig I got into like uh, five, six years ago and uh, where I got to like uh, in Houston, where they in Houston, they had like 10 days of just all these huge bands performing outside the, the NFL Expo. And so I got to introduce like Gary Clark Jr. and Salon and like ZZ Top and like 30,000 people. It was, uh, it was amazing. Yeah, it's a fun gig. Well, I will I will give you my email address after the show yeah. so we could talk because, like I said, I'm just up the road right up I-4 from Tampa. Come on by. I'll get you I, a signed on a football. And, and I work at Walt Whoop. Disney World, so. I mean, signed from Joel Bryant, but still. <laughs> wow. so, you work at Walt Disney World? Oh, I do. I'll I, Walt Disney World. I'm, a, do I'm an audio engineer at at Walt Disney World. Oh, that's oh cool. nice. That's really so, cool. Uh, what about you, Ryan? Because I don't think we've asked you yet. Uh, what's coming up next? Yep. Or Yeah, yeah, podcast, developing this podcast. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, Sorry, I, I, I have my... Seeds of Our Future is the name, uh, so oh, we'll cool. see if it... Uh, that's actually... Based on your, your... Like, Ryan's very passionate about uh, sustainability and the environment and, and really kind of protecting the future as it goes. Is it, is it based around that, Ryan? It absolutely is. It absolutely is. So, you know, kind of we're all stuck in the situation where, I don't know about you guys, but there's times where I feel pretty powerless to you know, the waves of influence that are happening right now. And so it's trying to figure out, well, what can we do? And there are people who are asking that same question. You know, I want to be involved. I want to try to be on the positive side of history. I want to try to push humanity forward in a positive way, but I don't know what to do. Everything's so much bigger. So I'm going to interview people who are working in organizations that are affecting massive positive change and ask them directly, what are you, what is your company or organization doing and how can the average citizen further that mission and hopefully get some, some great guests that have that, that information and uh, spread it out to people. And then I will also be committing to doing, you know, any of those tasks that they would ask for the average citizen. I'll, I'll make sure I'm doing all those things for each interview as well. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of like the same approach we've taken with this show is, you know, we try and be family friendly, but we also try and be positive uh, about geek culture. I mean, yeah, there are times you're just going to go, okay, we got this here and it just, stinks and i mean we we are we we have we have been honest brutally honest about dc films especially those by mm. Zack snyder <laughs> um michael bay is not on probably not on our top list of guests <laughs> um and uh 
And there was someone else I was going to mention. Um, it sounds positive. But, <laughs> oh, and, 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 the, and the 2015 Fantastic Four. Uh, but, I mean, for the most part, you know, we, we try and put, you know, we, we talk about stuff that we enjoy, we, we talk about, and then when there are train wrecks out there, hey, you know, train wrecks happen. We, we talk about it. Um, oh, we, all, we also love, like, bringing on um, film, independent filmmakers and things. We've been doing a lot of that lately. Yeah. And, and that's always, that's always fun to to help you know try to help them spread the word about their projects and and uh and get to know all you guys it's it's always fun yeah so there there's something positive i we yeah. i mean we've had we've had a lot of guests on the show and we've had some some big name guests you know like curtis armstrong and whatnot but the majority of our guests have been independent films you know filmmakers uh low small independent game manufacturer you know game game designers oh. whatnot um so I mean we we've had a lot of that and it's been so much fun and you know, just like the guys who hooked us up with you guys you know Clint and his team over at October Coast they've been great to us and and we we may not say it often but you know we definitely want to give thanks to Clint and the team over at October Coast cuz I know yeah. cuz I know that I know they listen to the show to our show mm-hmm. and thank you guys they've for been wonderful for us as well so you know I'm glad they get to get a shout out from <laughs> sides here you know yeah. thankful to work with them so Dan what is in your future besides trying to get season 3 funded um i would like to i would like to make an LA Macabre spin-off film um that's uh that was pretty close to going into production at the beginning of last year around basically a year ago now um and uh we were, we were you know just kind of inches away from going with that and uh you know covid didn't help we had a couple other things kind of um make it a little more difficult uh but i would like to still find a way to make that happen not like maybe later this year if the world opens back up and opportunities for that project come together but um i think kind of like corsica like i've been focusing on writing a lot um and i've spent the last uh, just fortunately it was a great time to pivot right before COVID to writing. Um, so like focusing on a lot of script, uh, competitions and I finally found a, um, a lit, a lit manager. So I have a, a writing mm-hmm. manager now. Um, and we've been working on getting, uh, several screenplays around and a pilot and so forth. So, uh, just kind of waiting to see how a lot of that plays out. Um, and uh, fingers crossed that it would, there are a lot of pokers in the fire. So hopefully one of them will, you know, be the one that, that we get to pull out this year and do something with, you know. Cool. Derek, any final questions? Oh, I thought you were going to ask if I had any projects. What are you up to? Derek, over a mic. Derek, what are you doing? Well, what are you doing these days? I think I think I'll oh, finish uh, I'll finish season two of the show because I'm very very excited to see where it goes. Then I'll probably uh, go to bed, get up, have some breakfast. You know, are you not going to be sleeping after that? No. Lock <laughs> your doors. Never know where course is going to be. Yeah. Hey, hey, Joel, that's a life model decoy. I think the real course goes right behind you with a knife. 
Yeah. <laughs> she very well could be. Hang on, guys. I'll be right back. <laughs> I'm just disappeared my little window right here, right now. That'd be amazing. <laughs> Can I just say this? I'm never sincere, and I'll be sincere right now. I haven't seen Dan a few times since we watched this in the premiere in the theater, but I haven't. I saw, I saw Ryan once, maybe. I haven't seen Aiden or Corsica since we watched this in the theater. I saw Ryan once. It's just nice to see you. It's just nice to Aww. see you. So I want to thank Mike and Derek for letting me on here with these folks to just like get to see their smiling faces and I really enjoy this group of people so it's just nice that I get to see them again through these crazy times and it's, I think it's a very positive thing so uh, that's the end of my sincerity and I'll go back to uh, to exact answer jokes thanks a lot see you guys really good to see you too everybody else really good to see you all Yeah. can we just go around and tell everybody say one good thing about me and then we'll just I'll start Joel your moisturizer looks great <laughs> thank you Madge I soaked in it <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I mean, and this, this is part of the reason why we do what we do. Uh, we, I mean, we've had some casts, you know, it may be just the director and producer on others. We've had, you know, the full, you know, we've had a large number of people on and, and it's the same thing every time. It's like, oh, wow. How are you guys doing? I haven't seen you since, you know, rewrapped and, you know, bringing everyone back together for me, it's the joy of it's like, you guys are picking up where you left off at the end of the project, yeah. which at this point in time was almost two years ago, two, three years ago. Yeah. So when you, when you do an independent project for what, what Dan and all of us did it for the you know, money, money wise, I'm talking about financially, you don't jump into it and you can't be a prima donna or a diva or you can't be high, high maintenance. You have to be someone who's kind of everybody's in it for the same reasons and everybody has a, a certain amount of cool and level-headedness and fun uh, just to get through it. And so I think that's why you probably get that with more independent projects is that you get people who are doing it just for the joy of doing it. Yeah. Uh, there's no, no other bones about it. So I think that's probably the common thread through all the independent projects. Well, we, we've had... Um, I definitely would agree with that. We, we've had uh, one of the first big independent projects that we were we Derek and I interviewed uh people from uh we ended up getting the people kind of one by one because they weren't all available um but each one of them had done major projects on their own uh like one of the one of the actresses had done a couple episodes of Family Ties another actress was part of the Clerks franchise um another one of the actors was in the Hobbit series <laughs> it's like and yet here we are talking about an independent film that we we ended up because of the first person we ended up buying the film on DVD and you know end up becoming super good friends with with the director and the and the lead actress and <laughs> it, it, it's been one of those as you said more more independent film makers seem to be more open to people like us to, to talk about it because they they see we have the appreciation of it and you know Derek and I have had the the insight of making comments of people going you know we were hoping someone would get it and we're glad you guys got it because um, we've done that as well like when we talked about the whole Blair Witch idea in the beginning um, I don't know if that was something you were hoping people would catch is that Blair Witch feel but for me that's what I caught right off 
offhand. And I mean, you know, it, when you're making something that's found footage, if, if if there's a positive comparison to the Blair Witch, you're probably doing pretty good because it kind of is the gold standard for it, you know. Um, so yeah, I definitely appreciate that. And season two is like Blair Witch Two. Oh no, no, no! <laughs> Blair Witch Two was horrible. <laughs> if they if they had kept with the found footage, if they had added more of the found footage stuff in Blair Witch 2, maybe it would have worked. But no, I think they lost focus on Blair Witch 2 when they didn't go that route. Yeah. Let's just watch Ellen McCobb season two and they're good to go. Exactly. <laughs> I think um, I think one other thing that I can add to what you were saying, Mike, is is. Uh, when we get to have independent creators on like you guys and we get to know you and everything, it kind of makes it makes the projects they're working on even better because you get to know the people behind it. Yeah. 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 You can have a richer experience with uh, what you're what you're watching. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I get that. We've had a lot of really um, rich uh, friendships uh, and relationships develop out of, you know, the Kickstarter for season two, the production of season one, the festival circuit for season one, the production of season two. Like we've met so many incredible people who wanted to make sure that it happened even after the Kickstarter because you know after the Kickstarter we still needed some financial help and we had people who did come in and help us at that level because they just really cared about the show and they really wanted to make it happen and um, and and they're all really great friends now you know some of them were you know um, were friends before the show but some of them were people that we didn't actually know yet. And and now we still when you know when there's not COVID we still meet up and have drinks and dinner and and check in with their families and they've become part of the family not to get too hooky, but you know um, but like the, the LA Macabre family is a really big extended family of of very supportive very cool very positive people um, and so. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the reasons we'd love to do another season. It's just like some of the best experiences on of our lives. You know, like I just I can point to like a few of our shoots that we've done where it's just like, man, yeah, I hope I get to do that again someday. <laughs> you know, like, not because it was filming, but just like those people, that place, those circumstances was right. so much fun. Um, so yeah, it, it really is nice. And it's nice to meet people on that journey. And like, like Mike and Derek, where, you know, you kind of become a part of that, you know, um, the support system and kind of the extended family of it all, you know, it, it is meaningful. And I think we all do feel it here. Well, we appreciate it. But you know, I'm looking over at my time code on my recorder and I'm realizing we've been on a long ass time. <laughs> I got nowhere to go. I just keep going. I got nowhere. I got nowhere. <laughs> you want to do another episode, or you got started? You got to start your walk to Tampa, Joel. <laughs> That's true. My walk to long walk to Tampa. <laughs> um, I'm going to say we're going to wrap it up here. Where can people find all you guys online? I try to keep it pretty simple at Ryan Helquist. You can see uh, Instagram. You can see uh, anything YouTube, Facebook fan page, all that. Just anything. My name. That works well. You can find me at Parlor. Wait for somebody. Yeah. Instagram at the Joel Bryant because Joel Bryant was taken. I am not a minister that does karaoke. Uh, <laughs> Joel Bryant. Uh, Joel Bryant. <laughs> 
internet for all your website. If you want to go look at my website, joelbryant.net, Twitter, Joel Bryant, uh, and that's it. Or donate to the Oscar Joel Bryant Foundation. I have no idea what it is, but that's what comes up in my Google alerts. Uh, <laughs> we, we know where to find Corsica. Corsica, where? My Instagram, I'm not super active on social media i usually post when i'm traveling um but my instagram i feel like looking at those photos is corsica jean it's my middle name spelled the french way j-e-a-n-n-e um that's my instagram handle you can uh, find aiden at spearmint rhino <laughs> <laughs> well when things open up uh i'm actually off yeah, all yeah. i'm actually not on social media so you can't find me but <laughs> Uh, I do. Uh, That's not a bad thing. It is. Yeah, I am not on social media, but for all the listeners, I, I can't stress and urge enough to check out LA Macabre. It's it's uh, it's a great ride. A lot of talented people made it happen, as as I'm sure you've heard over the last couple hours of us talking. And um, it's a uh, it's 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 an awesome watch. Uh, you'll really enjoy it. I promise you that. And, and you can find him featuring on the main stage at Cowboys three <laughs> yeah. three three shows nightly. Two, two in the morning on Sundays. Yeah. <laughs> I've been too busy dancing to ever come up with a social media profile. Yeah, <laughs> Sunday crowd. <laughs> and, and his featured dance is called Covered and Smothered. A tribute to Joel Bryant. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Amy. So, uh, <clears throat> so I'm on, at uh, uh, Dan underscore asked uh, on on uh, Twitter. You can follow the show at La Macab TV on Twitter and La Macab TV on Facebook. On Instagram, it's La Macab Series, and on Instagram, I am Dan dot asked as opposed to Dan underscore asked. So we're just kind of all over the place, you know. <laughs> okay. And Dan, after the show, if you could send, if you could do a group email with everyone here, uh, as soon as I get the show posted this weekend, which of course this is still being recorded, I will send this out to all you guys so you guys have it all at once. Awesome! Right so, right on. Best birthday uh, ever. On that note, um, there's Wait, only uh, bef- before you sign off, just one last time, you can find La Macabre on Amazon Prime. Yes. Yep. There we go. Yep. So it's one and two available. And, and Tubi, it's, actually. It's on Amazon Prime and Tubi. Oh, yeah. excellent. Yeah. Oh, and Tubi, too. And it, it is, it is, uh, it's a great show, and I, I do highly recommend checking it out. And I can't say it better than that, Derek. So, but I will ask. Want to know more? <laughs> So, um, the bad crowd you've been hanging out with is a science fiction club? This has been a Weeby Geeks production. Blom say say uniki. You know how Peter Parker doesn't always know how to tell Mary Jane how he really feels? Or how Tony Stark seems to have everything but not the deep emotional connection his complex soul craves? Well, you don't have to be a superhero or a wealthy industrialist to experience the kind of rich relationships and life we all long for. 
I'm Mark Wen, and I'm a men's wisdom coach. After people work with me, they have the confidence, emotional intelligence, and communication skills they need to be the heroes of their own story. To find out more, go to markwentcoaching.com. M-A-R-C-W-E-N-D-T, coaching.com. We are the Cigar Nerds Podcast. Do you like cigars? Great! We review cigars while talking about movies, TV shows, science, and pop culture news. What? You don't like cigars? Great! Because we also talk about science, movies, TV shows, and whatever's going on in the news. It's what we do. We smoke cigars, and we know things. Find us on CigarNerdPodcast.com. We're also on the ESO Network. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. This has been a Weeby Geeks production. WeebyGeeksPC.com, the voice of the geek revolution.